Good evening. I guess you say good evening if it's nighttime. You don't say good night unless you're leaving, right? Good evening. It sounds like Dracula. Or Alfred Hitchcock. Good evening. Good evening. Last week, if you were here last week, you'll remember we covered the very end of chapter 9 and the very beginning of chapter 10 of Matthew. And what we saw is that we looked at some of the sources, some of the reasons that we are on mission for Jesus, some of the reasons that we are going into the world. And probably the most prominent was that Jesus loves hurting people. Remember, we saw in Matthew 9, Jesus looked down the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Right? Jesus looked out at the world and he said, these people are hurting. And he looked to his disciples and he said, pray. The most important thing you can do when you see hurting people is you can pray. You talk to God who can do something about it. And you say to God, God, will you send somebody to help them? And then you know what God does? He says, of course I will. I send you. (laughs) If you pray for somebody to be sent, you might be the one that's sent. And so God, Jesus, sends his 12 disciples into the world to meet the needs of those hurting people. And so tonight we're going to look at the rest of chapter 10, and we're going to see Jesus say, since I'm sending you, let me give you kind of a pregame speech. Let me give you a warning about what to expect and a warning that this mission is not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy at all. You will face suffering and persecution, and it won't be easy, but I want you to endure. I want you to stay the course. It's going to be worth the cost. In some ways, it kind of reminds me, when I was in high school, I played soccer. And at my high school, soccer was a fall sport. So we would start practicing in August, the hot, hot weather. We would show up on the first day of practice, and our coach would give us a speech. He would say, anybody who's going to be good at soccer has to be able to play 90 minutes of soccer. How long a game lasts, you have to be in shape. I looked up today, actually the average player on the U.S. World Cup soccer team ran over six miles per game. He said, so if you're going to play soccer, you have to be in shape. So we're going to run and run and run because you have to be able to endure. And I hate running. I hate running, especially in August. I hate running. But we would get out there, and I would run because I knew that if I couldn't endure, I couldn't be on the team. And the first few weeks, there would be basically, well, we were outside, but we would run. And then there would be a little break for us all to throw up because we had ran so much. And then we would run again. And we ran, and we ran, and we ran. And I hated it, but I endured. Because I knew that this running had a point. It had a purpose. My coach told me ahead of time it's coming. He told me it was valuable and that it was worth enduring. Because in the end, that's what made a good soccer team. And I think that's kind of similar to what Jesus is doing right here. He says, I've just called you for mission. And I want to let you know up front that it's not an easy mission. You are going to suffer and suffer and suffer, 
But I want you to know up front, it's worth it. You need to stay the course. It's worth it. So he's going to warn us tonight. Stay the course. We're going to divide the passage. We're going to go through the whole 10th chapter, starting in verse 5 through the end. And we're going to look at four major sections. One commentator came up with some catchy titles, so I'm going to use his titles for it. He said the first section is Jesus' travel instructions. Through the travel instructions, Jesus tells the disciples where to go, who to talk to, and what to do. In the second section, starting in verse 16 through 23, there's going to be trouble instructions. Jesus is going to warn you it's going to be hard. There's going to be some trouble. In verses 24 through 31, the third section, he's going to give you trust instructions. Why in the world will I stay the course in light of the suffering he just told me that's coming? And in the very last section, Jesus is going to say, this is my decision section, or this is the section that tells you all of this matters. You're on a mission that requires suffering, but this is why it matters. He's going to tell you that eternity lies in the balance. Souls are at stake, and so you stay the course, because in the end, there's heaven and hell that awaits people. Let me try to summarize all of that. Matthew 10.5 through 10.42, one big sermon. We can call it the mission sermon. And the main idea of this sermon is it's going to be hard, but endure anyway. The main idea is that if you are on mission for Jesus, it will be hard and you will suffer but the reward is worth the cost. That's the main idea. Here's one neat thing about it. Matthew tells us the story of Jesus telling Matthew and the other disciples about missions, about their mission, a very individual mission. But he doesn't tell it for the disciples' sake. He tells it for our sake. So what Matthew is saying is it's not just the 12 disciples that suffered. He's saying, you guys are going to suffer a lot like we suffered and a lot like Jesus suffered. And so he's saying, learn from my example. Suffer like we suffered, and you'll see a reward like we saw. I want to pray, and then we'll just dive into our passage. Dear Lord, we're going to cover a lot tonight, and there's a lot to uh, wrestle with because there's hard words about suffering, and we've conditioned ourselves to run away from suffering. So I pray that you'll open our minds, open our hearts, to see this mission and embrace it, and think it to be so valuable that we'll gladly suffer for it. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In your name I pray, amen. All right, I'm not going to read the whole passage at once since it's so long. We'll read it section by section. So if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10, we'll start in verse 5, and we're going to go through the travel section. We're going to see Jesus' instructions about where, where to go, who to talk to, and what to do. I'll start in verse 5. These 12, and that's the 12 disciples we read about last week, these 12 Jesus sent forth. And he commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and to any city 
of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, or freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor scrip for your journey, neither two coats, neither two shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And into whatsoever city or town you shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Let's start by looking at some of the harder questions, and then we'll move to the big point of this passage. I think one of the harder questions is, who are the lost sheep of Israel? Why go to them and not to the Gentiles or to the Samaritans? So what's he asking there? Let's start with who are the lost sheep of Israel. I think the answer to this question is rather simple because we saw it last week. Jesus looked out at the hurting and helpless people, and he says, these are like sheep without a shepherd. And we talked about that, and we said the sheep are without a shepherd because the Jewish leadership, the religious leadership, had stacked on rule after rule after rule with no compassion and no mercy. And so Jesus says to his disciples, go out and find those people. Those people who are hurting and helpless in the house of Israel, you go find them and minister to them. Go find ordinary Jewish people and be a help to them. Why though Jewish people? Why not Gentiles and Samaritans? I think this is something that some theologians call the Jewish first chance. But the idea that's really behind here is that I think Jesus is reminding us that Christianity is the fulfillment of a Jewish religion. He's saying, I'm the fulfillment of the Old Testament. I'm the Messiah that was promised in Jewish scriptures. And so we're going to go there to remember that this isn't a new thing that I'm doing. I'm, this is the continuation of the plan of salvation that I started all the way back with Adam and then with Abraham and then with David. There's a, a guy, I'm going to read a pretty long section from Matt Woodley. He, I thought he was really helpful on this. He said, the Bible doesn't hide the fact that God chooses some people to be in a special relationship with him. That God chose Abraham, one man among millions. And he said, I will bless you. But to us, this may seem unfair and exclusive, but in the biblical story, being chosen implies a responsibility, not just a privilege. God kept telling his chosen people that they were chosen for a special purpose, to share God's love with the world. They were blessed in order to be a blessing. It's as if God's blessing always starts small in particular and like a single tiny seed before it can spread out like a broad, beautiful, fruit-bearing, fruit-bearing tree. And Jesus' point here is that God hasn't abandoned plan A to redeem the cosmos. 
He still wants to bless the world by working through his chosen people. But as he continues with plan A, which is blessing the entire world through the blessed ones, he also initiates the fulfillment of that plan, which was always aimed at including and blessing the Gentiles. So Jesus starts with a motley group of unlikely heroes who were just sinners among sinners. And the only thing that makes them different is this. Jesus has called them and given them his authority. This is the miracle of the new Genesis in Jesus. In other words, what he's saying is that God had always intended to reach the entire world by choosing and calling out special people and giving them a mission. And he says that I'm going to do that again. And by the end of Matthew, those people that he's called out of the nation of Israel to go into Israel, their scope is broad. And he says, go into all the world, baptizing them, right? So by the end of Matthew, this small seed of a mission is going to spread out and to reach the whole world with the gospel. But he's reminding us here that the gospel starts by calling out individual people and giving them a specific mission. And it it started with promises that he made long, long, long ago. And God says, I'm not going to forget those promises. I'm going to keep my word, and my plan is still in effect. Pretty neat. Let me look at another interesting part of this. Jesus tells them not to take any provisions. The King James says, nor script for your journey. Did you see that? Other translations say don't acquire or take along, and it lists some things you don't take along. It includes, includes taking along extra clothes and shoes and a walking stick. So why not? Why couldn't they save up and take a little for their journey? There's a lot of speculation on reasons why the mission was urgent. There wasn't time to go get your savings account ready. You just go. But Jesus also kind of tells you the reason there, and he says that the workman is worthy of his meat. He says, don't go collect everything you need to be a missionary. Just go, because you're going to be worthy of your hire. The work that I'm sending you out to do, I'm going to reward you for it. So trust me. And he tells you how he's going to do it. He's going to send you into villages, and there will be these people of peace that will receive you in. And they will give you shelter and food and clothes. You will be provided for by the people that God has prepared to provide for you. And you don't need to prepare. God's already prepared for you. That's neat. God's called you to a mission, and he says, I'm going to prepare for it. I'll prepare you for it. I think it's pretty neat. I immediately, as I read this, thought, that reminds me of kind of what we did when Kenny Marr came. An evangelist come here, and Kenny Marr didn't know what the, he would be paid. We just said that this, God's prepared these people for you, and you guys provided graciously. He didn't have to come with an extra cloak. He came and said, let's see how God will provide. And I'm so thankful that I... I believe that he was able to not only come here based on your provision, but to go out to the Midwest. And we'll see that part of the importance of us providing that way is that not everyone is a person of peace. As we keep reading, there's going to be people that will reject that mission, and it's our responsibility to continue sending. 
continue enduring in the face of that rejection. Let's move to kind of what I think is the heart of this passage, and that's what are they supposed to do? He tells them where to go. He tells them who to talk to. He tells them that he's going to provide. And then he says, and this is what I want you to do. In verse 7, Jesus says, I want you to preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received and freely give. In other words, he's saying, do everything that you saw me do in chapters 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. You saw me preach the gospel, you go preach. The kingdom is at hand. You saw me heal, you go heal. You saw me raise the dead, you raise the dead. You saw me cast out demons, you cast out demons. You go be me, the people of Israel. You are my representative. The ministry that I, you have seen me do, you go and do likewise. And we also talked last week about how there's kind of two big categories. You go meet their spiritual needs and you go meet their physical needs. You tell them about the kingdom and you heal the sick. And you cast out demons and you raise the dead. Physical needs, spiritual needs, both. Full orb, everything that sin has destroyed, you are responsible to put back to right the same way Jesus did. We go back and preach the gospel it saves the soul, and we meet needs. Sickness, poverty, we meet needs. He says, you go and be me to these people. There's something new, though. We didn't see this last week. What we see this week is that some people are going to accept that message, and some people are going to reject it. He says, some people are going to receive you and be people of peace, and some people are not. Your job is to go and share. It reminds me, when I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ, we, uh, we had a phrase that described what successful evangelism was. This is Bill Bright's words. He said, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. That's it. Disciples, here's your task. You go share Christ and let me worry about the results. I will take care of your food and clothes and your walking stick. I will take care of who will accept and who will reject. I'm asking you just to be faithful. Successful sharing, successful evangelism is to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and to leave the results to God. That's all he's asking. That's all that he's asking. Let's keep moving through our passage and turn to verse 16. We finish the travel section, and this is where the warnings start. There's a trouble section, trouble instructions. He's going to say that this mission will be accompanied by suffering. We'll start in 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you to the councils, they will scourge you in the synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought of how or what you shall speak, for it shall be given to you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you, and brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death, and you will be hated 
of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. For when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. I think the main idea here is that we should expect persecution and accept persecution. It's not that we seek persecution or that we're some sort of gluttons for punishment, but Jesus is telling us that his followers will be marked by faithfully enduring in the face of serious suffering and persecution. I think it's kind of interesting how often Jesus uses animals to teach us about spiritual realities. I heard one sermon, a, a pastor was talking about John Stott, who's a pretty famous theologian. He said that John Stott had once said that every serious theologian should also take up a hobby in nature of some sort, studying animals or stars. Or nature. He said God has revealed himself through his word and through his creation, and sometimes through his creation in his word. He said we know reality by looking at God's creation. We know God by looking at what he makes. And so Jesus does the same thing here. He says, let's use four animals to help you kind of understand what it means to be on mission. And he starts off by telling us that we're going in like sheep among wolves, which is interesting because he just called us to go to the lost sheep of Israel. And now he says, those sheep are going to be wolves. I think what he's saying is that sometimes hurting people can be hurtful people. When people are hurting, that does not mean that they're safe people. And he wants you to go to them anyway. I know that when you go to people who are without a shepherd, I am putting you in danger. And I want you to accept that danger because those are people that I love. Listen to how Dale Bruner explains this. He says, Jesus' emphatic, look, I myself am sending you, means that his mission of sheep to wolves is not a mistake. This is the way the true God, in contrast to all false gods, works in history. It's the way of intentional, intentional vulnerability. Jesus not only intends his disciples to carry on his mission of teaching and healing, he also intends that his disciples carry on his passion mission of bearing suffering and taking persecution. Because in other words, if we expect to help people like Jesus, we have to expect to suffer with people and for people like Jesus. Jesus stepped into a world of lost sheep to help them, and they killed him. And if we're going to follow in his ministry, we can expect the same thing. The good news is that Jesus promises to work through that suffering. He says that I have a purpose in that suffering. He says, I have appointed you to suffer so that when you're brought before the kings and the governors and the Gentiles, that you will be a testimony to them. And he says, and when you get up in their courts, You don't even have to worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will put words in your mouth because your suffering is intentional. 
He promises to use our suffering for his glory. It reminds me of Joseph's message in Genesis 50, when Joseph's brothers come up to him and he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Jesus is saying, walk the path that Joseph walked. Be willing to suffer for my glory's sake and trust that I will use it for the good even of the people who are causing that suffering. Isn't that amazing? I do want to point out that while Jesus is calling us to endure suffering, he's not calling us to suffer for suffering's sake. It's not the suffering that's important, it's the mission that's important. And I think that's why he warns us to be wise as serpents. Be alert. People are going to hurt you, so be paying attention. Be wise. Don't be fools. And the idea, well, he even goes so far as to say, there may even be a time where your suffering is so bad that you will flee to another city. Right? A wise person is willing and accepts suffering, but that wisdom may mean that I need to go somewhere else, that this door has been closed. But what he doesn't want us to do is think that being wise as serpents means we snap back like serpents. We're wise like serpents, but we're harmless like doves. We don't return evil for evil. We always return good for evil. I read a really interesting historical example of this. I want to share it with you. Um, During the Protestant Reformation, France was really, really close to becoming a Protestant country. Uh, the French Protestants were called Huguenots, and they became a pretty important force, really, in the French. France was not exactly France. It's different city-states. But in the city-states of France, they were a very significant group. Um, but they were also a heavily persecuted group, especially early on. And there was a famous interchange that happened between a Catholic king of one of those city-states and a French Huguenot named uh, Beza or Beza. I don't know how to pronounce his name. But the king was threatening, I'll call him Beza. The king was threatening Beza with this increased persecution. I'm going I'm to keep rolling out the pain on you guys. And this was Beza's response. He said, Sire, it is truly the lot of the church of God for which I speak to endure blows and not to strike them. But may it please you to remember that the church is an anvil that has wore out many hammers. Isn't that neat? Beza thought, in this war between two churches, the evidence of the true church versus the false church, the false church was the hammer, and the true church endured the blows. He says the true church will wear out many hammers. It will absorb and absorb and absorb and continue to endure and be faithful. The problem was that Beza's attitude kind of was lost over time. People began to recognize that the Huguenots after absorbing so many blows, begin to think, we have to strike back. 
One historian said that passions prevailed, and when repeatedly attacked, the Huguenots began to fight back, and the infamous War of Religion began. And there was a French ambassador who in 1569 wrote, but for the war, France would now be Huguenot, because the people were rapidly changing their faith, and the Protestant ministers were much respected, and they exercised authority among them. But when they passed from words to weapons, they began to rob and destroy and to kill the people the people began to say, what kind of religion is this? Compare that to the early church. In the early church, the disciples were all sheep, never wolves. All 12 of the disciples and apostles, except for John, died a martyr's death. And John was cast to the Isle of Patmos where he died, basically in exile as a prisoner. Augustine, he looked back on those times and said, there was a time that a herd of, there was a herd of wolves and just a few sheep. He said, but when the many wolves killed the few sheep, the wolves were changed and they became sheep. Pointing out that God used the suffering of his people to bring about repentance, to bring about conversion. He says, Be willing to endure because that is the means by which Jesus won the world. That is the means by which the apostles and the disciples won people. And that's the means by which we're going to see evangelistic success in our world is if we're willing to suffer on behalf of people who are hurting and helpless and they're like sheep without a shepherd. Let's keep moving. We'll turn to the trust instructions. Why would you trust? in order to absorb that kind of suffering. Let's start in verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in light. And what ye hear uh, in the ear, that preach on the housetop. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. There are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs on your head are numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. I think in this section we can see two big ideas, two big reasons we're willing to suffer. And the first one is if we love God, suffering is our chance to be like God. The master suffered. And isn't it enough for the servant to be like the master? Don't you want to look like Jesus? Then suffer like him. And the New Testament is filled with statements of what an honor it is to suffer like Jesus. Let me read one from 1 Peter 4. Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you as if something unusual were happening. Instead, rejoice, because you're sharing in the sufferings of the Messiah so that you may also rejoice with great joy at the revelation of his glory. If you are ridiculed for the name of Christ, you are blessed, 
because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Paul says, when you suffer like Christ, you should rejoice because it's evidence that you are members with Christ. You are part of his household. Let me read in Romans 8. He said, the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Our sufferings for the gospel are the evidence that we're members of his household. And so when you suffer, you can count it pure joy because that's what Christ did for you and you get to look like him. There's a second reason that we suffer willingly and that's because God's worthy. Matthew tells us that the nature of God tells us that he's worthy of being suffered for or suffering for him. He starts by reminding us of God's power. He reminds us that the people who we're afraid of have really very little power. What's the worst they can do? What's the worst they can do is to kill you. But compared to God, they can only kill the body. He holds the soul. Temporary suffering versus eternal. Their power is minute. God's nature is so big that you should gladly suffer for him. But he goes on to say, but it's not just his bigness, it's also his love. His nature is such that you can happily suffer for him because he cares for the sparrows and he cares even more for you. God's bigness and his love are plenty good reasons for you to suffer for him. Do you remember the old hymn, uh, His Eyes on the Sparrow? says, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? Why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home when Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he? His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. I think that Jesus is reminding us the same thing that him is saying, that Jesus is so good, he's full of power, and he's full of love, we should be happy to suffer for him and for his mission. Let me move to the very last section, the fourth section, and this is kind of the end game of mission. The last reason we suffer is because at the end, your mission matters. There's eternal weight. Let me just read it. I'll start in verse 32, and we'll finish through the end of the chapter. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men... Him I will confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I am not come to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set man at variance against his father and the daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be that of his own household. He that loveth, His father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward, 
And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give a drink unto one of these little ones a cup of cold water, only in the name of a disciple, verily I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. There's a lot in here. But I think we can boil the main idea of this section down to Jesus says, your mission matters because you're calling people to a decision. Because being on mission means that when people meet you, they will have to radically choose Christ or radically reject Christ. They will either confess him or deny him. They will either love their lives on this earth or they will hate their lives on this earth. That you are the test, you are the litmus test that shows everyone whether or not they are disciples. That is why they persecute you, but it's also why your mission is so important because here at this decision, at this crisis moment, is where eternal life is found or lost. Your mission matters because you are a person's opportunity to accept or to reject Christ. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Ecuador, and I think we've talked about him a little bit before here, but let me read you a quote of his. He says, Father, make me a crisis man. Bring those I contact to a decision. Let me not be a milepost on a single road, but make me a fork that men must turn one way or the other on facing the Christ in me. Do you see what he's asking? I don't want to be simply someone who says this way to Christ. I want to be somebody that says choose or reject, accept or reject. I want to be not a signpost, but a fork in the road. My ministry, my mission is to tell people that life and death hangs in the balance. To say like Joshua said, choose you this day whom you will serve. That's why people may reject you because that's a harsh message to many people. But it's also why your ministry is so important because without that message, people will never know. Without the message that you must choose Christ, they will continue like sheep without a shepherd. I think the point of this passage, of this last section, is to tell us that this calling is so important, that the souls of people are so important, that we should gladly suffer to bring them eternal life. Let me try to end this message with some practical application questions. How do you take Jesus' message on mission, his sermon on mission, and apply it to your own life? I think there's, hopefully, you've already seen some areas that you can apply, but let me bring up three. One is, I think every single one of us need to ask the question, have we accepted or rejected? Have you accepted Christ or rejected him? 
Have you said, I will confess him in public? I will choose him over all comforts and earthly pleasures in this world because he has the words of eternal life. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow Jesus is not worthy of him. And so Jesus is asking every single one of us today, will you take up your cross and follow him? Will you make him the Lord of your life and say, I will follow him and seek the reward that he's promised, eternal life in Christ Jesus. If you have received Jesus Christ, I think the next question you can ask yourself is, are you a fork in the road? Are you the type of person that confronts people with the reality of Jesus Christ? Someone has known you for more than a few minutes. Would they say, knowing him, makes me wrestle with my own relationship with God. Does God use you to bring people to knowledge and decision for him? I think there's a third application question we can ask ourselves, and that is, do we put our mission at jeopardy by refusing to suffer? Jesus says we have to suffer for his mission. Are we unwilling to gladly bear the reproach of other people for the sake of the gospel. If someone scorns me, offends me, or hurts me, do I strike back like the Huguenots did? Or do I, like the early church, be a sheep that's willing to die so that maybe a wolf can someday become a sheep? Are you willing to bear reproach from others for the sake of the gospel? Let me pray. Dear Lord, what an honor to be called into your mission. What an honor to be invited to talk to others about your glory and your greatness. And what an honor to be given the chance to suffer for you as you first suffered for us. Give us a vision of the importance of this mission. Let us not take it lightly. Let us make it our life's aim to see other people come to know you in an eternal life-giving way. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you, thank you, Nathaniel. Wow, what a passage. You know, this is a, a passage that you don't really go to and preach if you just want to tickle people's ears. You know, you're not, you're not going to fill the offering place with this passage. But, folks, this is the Word of God. And we need to understand that what the great privilege that Christ has in calling you and me to just to go tell others. And even as we studied this morning, Christ never asked us to do something he first didn't do himself. Nathaniel, I love the thought where Jesus come among the sheep and the sheep killed him. And that's what Christ has called us to do. To just go out and tell the good news of Jesus Christ. It also convicts me that so many times the one whom we fear the most is one who can just hurt the body. 
But Jesus says, don't worry about the one that can just hurt the body. You worry about the one that can destroy the body and the soul. That's me. Because, folks, our soul is the most precious thing. And I challenge you tonight to stop and think about, even as Jim Elliott, again, what a, just a powerful quote, that God, I don't want to be a signpost out there. I want to be a fork in the road. I want to be the one that presents the gospel in such a way people have to make a decision. Wow, that is so powerful. And I just ask you tonight, what about you? Where are you in Christ? Have you made a decision for Christ? Then I ask you tonight also, how faithful are you and me in fulfilling this call that God has on each of our lives? is to go out and, and share the gospel with the sheep who have no shepherd. Even if we have to face some persecution. Folks, that's the call of our Savior. Has the Holy Spirit spoken to you tonight? If so, you need to do something about it. Why do we have these times? Why do we have a time where we response? Because, folks... When, when God is convicting you, it's important that you do something. It's important that, that if it's just to come to the altar and kneel down and say, God, I, I hear you and, and I'm sealing this. It's just a, a, a place of worship. And that's what I want you to do in these next few moments is worship God by just responding how he's speaking to your heart whether it be for the need of salvation or, or, or God, I just come and God, let me be faithful. God, let me be faithful to just be obedient even if it hurts. And I think all of us need to be reminded of that prayer. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I want to ask you to stand right now. It's time to lead us in a, in a time of, of song. The altar's open, my friend. I invite you to come. Let us be faithful.